Welcome to Gross Anatomy. We're live? live. <laughs> so we're live? We're live with Gross Anatomy podcast where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture, meaning books, movies, TV, and the world around us. And I am Dr. Jason Cohen. And I'm Lauren Taylor. And I got a haircut. What do you think? I like it. It's a little funky, but... Who knows? You seem like you've got all your hair. You talked about once about your wife giving you Botox injections. No, I'm seriously thin. Well, that's why I got my haircut like this. So my curls kind of hide my thinning. And you said it was painful, right? You didn't want to do it anymore? Oh, yeah. That Botox, not Botox, but uh, it's not Botox, but it's um, PRP, plasma rich, um, or some other growth stuff into the scalp. It hurts. It's not for me. I'd rather. I think, I mean, it's easy for me to say because I'm not yet bald, but I feel like I'd rather go bald than endure that pain. I'm not a big fan of pain. Oh, especially on the top of your head, needles. I don't know how women do it. Like I, I, or men too. I don't know how people go and get these cousins. And it's something my wife does. I don't know how people go to get these injections done to make themselves look better. I was wondering about that. I mean, I've never done Botox, but I want to, but I'm like, can I handle the pain? I don't know. Right. And it's not even the Botox. It's the filler also, the Botox and the filler. And there, I, I, I wouldn't be able to sit still. I'd freak out, especially on my face. Like if you're doing it on my leg, you know, that's fine, but I don't need it on my leg. (laughs) I have a very young looking leg. Well, that's good. Well, that's really all we have to talk about today. So. And that's it. And thanks for joining us today on Gross Anatomy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So. Yeah. Yeah. Give us an update. How are you? What's going on? So I'm on call this week. So it's a stressful week for me. So, but oddly enough, I, I don't know if we discussed it. It's, it's been a somewhat slow, it's been a little slow for me surgically. I'm busy with other stuff, but surgically it's, a, or elective, I, I've done some emergency surgeries, but I haven't had my elective surgery schedule filling up. And I think it's for two reasons. Unfortunately, we had a lot of change in staff at our, at our office so my new surgery scheduler isn't necessarily yet up to speed. And then they were, the hospitals where I work were kind of non-emergent and were non-like life-threatening and non-cancer stuff was kind of being put second, secondary and not prioritized. So, so these last two weeks, it's been a little weird. When I was working for years with my mentor, I would talk to him about, oh, yeah, I'm slow a little bit. And he would say to me, and, and he was probably at my age where I am now, yeah, I get that too. I get periods where it's slow for me and I still panic and fear. This is what he was telling me as a 50-plus-year-old. He, he would say, and I'm wondering, is my practice over? Is no one coming again? And then it would get busy again. But but I'm kind of in that. So I'm, I'm trying not to be upset that it's slow. I'm trying to enjoy it to kind of catch up on work, other work and other things, Mm -hmm. but it's a weird, it's a weird thing being slow. I I guess for everybody, it kind of, it kind of is an easy stressor wondering is no one coming in the door anymore? You know, it's, it's a weird thing. I'm sure it'll pick up because I I read that California is doing like better than any other state as far as like hospitalization. So hopefully it'll pick back up. Yeah, no, the volume of patients is there just for whatever reason my surgery schedule is, but I, I'm pretty sure it's, it feels like it's about to ramp up. So I shouldn't be upset. I should kind of, and that's what this mentor told me. He, he said, 
even he, you know, 30 years into his career would go through these periods of stressing, but he said, learn to try to enjoy those, you know, downturns. Do you have anything fun scheduled in the future? Is there anything you're looking forward to? I have nothing fun scheduled. We, we moved this past weekend. So we have boxes. You moved, we moved to the Valley. We're Valley people now. Wow. That's huge. I had no idea you were moving. I'm a Valley boy now. It's yep. So we have boxes everywhere. So, uh, that's a stressful thing too, but you know, we're Mm. we're getting through it. All right. Well, yeah, that's a huge thing. That's a huge, I'm surprised. I thought you guys were going to move more to the country. Well, that's, that'll be the next move. Okay. The country will be the next, the country or like the Caribbean. I'm working on trying to figure out how to get to the Caribbean. I like it. I like it. So I had a few questions for you. There was like a few news articles. Um, one was about Pele, who's recovering from cancer surgery, colon cancer surgery. But it said that they had to remove a lesion or a tumor. Are lesions and tumors the same thing? Lesions and tumors are the same thing. Exactly. Or growths, lesions, tumors. They, they can all be the same thing. And they don't all necessarily mean cancer. They can mean cancer, but they could be benign. They could be non-cancerous too. Okay. Yeah. Cause it didn't say if he had cancer or not. So I was confused, but they made it seem like he was, you know, he was in intensive care. So I thought, it, I assumed it was colon cancer, but I guess it's not. Well, we don't know. I, I, and I, we were trying to kind of figure that out. Pele, who was a great soccer hero and yeah. a three-time world cup winner from Brazil. He's known as the King there. Um, he's 80 years old. So he had, he said that because of COVID, he didn't have his regular checkup because he's supposed to get you're supposed to get screened every year after the age of what 45 now somewhere between 40 and 50 kind of depending yeah depending on extensive different factors and things like that yeah so every year you're supposed to get a colonoscopy or he didn't not necessarily every year you're supposed to get a screening and then based on what what is found it's not like mammogram mammogram you got to do every year this is you get a screening colonoscopy at a certain age and then depending on what's found you may have to come back a year later, but it could be two years, could be three years, could be five years, could be 10 years. It all kind of depends on what the findings are and then what your risks uh, are. Okay. Well, he said he put off what he was supposed to do and then they found um, this tumor. Supposedly, according to his daughter, he's recovering well, and I still can't figure out if it was cancer or not. Right. And there's very little in the, in the, in the media, in the news as to what it was. So it's really hard, but most likely it was some kind of colon cancer is my guess uh, that was removed and hopefully he's doing okay. And if you're, if your family has it, like if your dad died from colon cancer, would you have to go every year, like starting from 40? Yeah, you definitely would start sooner. Part of it is based on how old, like if your dad had colon cancer at age 90, it doesn't necessarily that much increase your risk. But if your dad had colon cancer at 30, then you need a colonoscopy at 30 as well. Got it. And then what exactly happens during like just a routine screening, like before a colonoscopy? They just look at you, check you? So, so. Or is a screening a colonoscopy? Screening typically is that colonoscopy. You'll go, you'll meet the doctor first in an appointment, usually to, to plan the colonoscopy and you'll go over risk factors and all of that. And then after you meet the doctor, the doctor will give you the prep. Mm-hmm. to take the night before the colonoscopy. 
And I've had a couple colonoscopies already and, and you drink, usually it's some kind of liquid. There are powders that you could put into liquids too, but it's usually some kind of liquid that you drink the day before the colonoscopy. You're supposed to only be on liquid, a liquid diet as of the, usually as of afternoon, uh, but sometimes even the whole day, they just want you on liquids so that basically the goal is to make you have no poop in your colon and whatever's in there hopefully is just liquid and clear liquids, nothing that'll be dark, you know, that'll obscure what, what there is to see. Cause you, we have poop normally and we want to clean all that out. So you drink this drink that basically makes you poop your brains out, you know, and eventually you're just pooping out water. It's like diarrhea galore kind of thing. And it, and it happens fast. You know, you drink this drink quickly and then you just, it, it's amazing how it, comes on. Nobody ever talks about that part. Yeah. It's shocking. If you do it right, if you do it fast, although there are people who have, you know, real major constipation issues and have trouble moving their bowels. And sometimes those patients don't actually, despite the prep, don't get a good clean out. And then the colonoscopy is not as effective. And sometimes they have to do it again and do it, you know, an extra double kind of clean out, but it's amazing that clean out that you get. And it, it's funny. I, 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 you actually, you know, people do these cleanses and weird stuff. I kind of could understand it a little bit because you feel so clean. Like you, 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 you're just pooping water and it's like, to some degree, there's like a good feeling to it. You know, you kind of feel lighter and, and clean a, a little bit, which is really interesting. And then, then you go in the day of the procedure and you, these days it's, it's usually so you're asleep, you know, although I hear heart, I hear stories sometimes of person being awake or somewhat awake during it, but it's twilight though. They, they give you um, something that puts you out, but it's usually not a general anesthesia, but you're asleep for it. And then they put this scope, this long narrow tube that has a camera and it's then put onto a monitor. So, so the, the doctor doing it is kind of watching it on TV as they're putting this giant scope up your butt while you're out. So you, you really don't feel it. And, uh, and then you wake up and you're done. And so my most recent colonoscopy, I had, uh, it was one of my partners doing it. And they said to me before putting me to sleep, they're like, okay, what kind of music should we listen to, you know, while we're doing it? And I said, Sinatra, Frank Sinatra, of course. And so I went to sleep and then and, and they had some Sinatra playing while they were putting me to sleep. But I'm sure as soon as I was asleep, they changed the music because somehow I woke up thinking and singing in my head, Katy Perry. So at some <laughs> point, and, and I don't think it was just random Katy Perry. At some point, they must have switched it to kind of pop music and Katy Perry must have been on. So, which is fine. I like Katy Perry a lot, actually. I, I'm, I'm a big fan. So but it was weird. I went to sleep thinking Sinatra and I woke up singing Katy Perry. That is funny. And then, so do you know, like the chance if you have colon cancer of like recurrence, are there like those kind of numbers? Like, have you seen people get cured and then get it again? Yeah. Luckily colon, colon cancer is a fairly curative cancer, you know, in the scheme of cancers, it, it's, it's pretty curative. Um, as long as it's caught, you know, in one of the early stages and the amazing thing is, is even when colon cancer is caught in a later stage, it's usually not like other cancers where you're dead right away, although you can be. There's a lot of medical 
treatments and surgeries and procedures, mostly chemotherapies and different things like that, that could keep people alive and well for a long time. So it's really, most of the time, it's not like an automatic death sentence unless it's really late or they just have a more aggressive or bad form of colon cancer. It's, it's, it's rare when it's, when it's fatal. You know, I have some patients who have had late staged colon cancers and they're still doing fine, you know, at least five to 10 years out and still with a quality of life. And so it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. That is amazing. Is that just because treatments have like advanced too? Treatment is definitely advanced, I think, um, on all levels, surgical and, and chemotherapies. And there's a lot of different ones. And, and, and I think I may have talked about it on previous podcasts that with, with all forms of treatments when it comes to cancer, uh, you don't need a home run. I, I'm pretty sure that that oncologist who was treating my dad said, you just need a lot of base hits, you know, the baseball analogy. And you could win a game with base hits. So as long as you have something that works for a little bit, you use that, then that maybe stops working and you switch to another thing. And the nice thing with colon cancer is there are a lot of different things that work, Okay. maybe not cure, but work, you know, to keep you around for a long time. No, that is good news. Haley, I guess hopefully he'll be fine. Hopefully he'll be fine. And it's interesting that, you know, that actor Chadwick Boseman. Um, oh, yeah. That's where we talked about it before a little bit. We did. He, I feel like, yeah, he was so young. I think he was, what was he like 43? And I I didn't treat him. So, and I know nothing about what happened to him, but one of, you know, probably a combination of two things. He probably, for whatever reason, had a really aggressive form of colon cancer, but it wouldn't surprise me if somehow it was picked up kind of late, which is, which is sometimes what could happen. Well, because if he didn't have a history or he didn't, go in early because he had a history then yeah i think i think the screening age normally is 45 so he wouldn't he would have not known to go right but part of it may be you know with covid we were just talking about a lot of people kind of forgot to take care of themselves or 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 were too nervous or scared to go to the doctor or go to the hospital because the fear is oh there's covid all around there which i i think you know unless you're going to a a general doctor uh, there's probably less COVID, you know, at a surgeon's office or at a GI's office or, and at the hospital, except for the COVID area, there's no COVID, you know? Right. So, I mean, it's less chances than going to the grocery store, which you do all the time or like regular errands. Right. Yeah. So people should stop being afraid and go get their checkups. Exactly. Good point. So just general, like we always talk about this, but there's no, um, there's no kind of like diet exercise you can do to prevent it, right? Colon cancer. Well, theoretically, a high fiber diet is good for colon health. You know, a lot of fruits and veggies potentially preventing to some degree as well. So high fiber, a lot of fruits and veggies is thought to be good. Um, other than that, not necessarily. So do you think we're doing a good job in America as far as like detecting colon cancer earlier? Like, do you feel like we're making progress? Yes and no. I think we are uh, in America doing okay um, with screening colonoscopies, just like we do mammograms and things like that. But the rise of cancers uh, is is happening, you know, and, and in younger and younger people. And I don't know if that's an environmental thing or you know, it's certainly got to be a combination of 
That, that is so interesting. I didn't know that it was younger and younger. I know we talked about Chadwick Boseman, but I didn't know that it, I mean, I know they lowered the age for yeah. streams. And it's, and it's crazy. That's what they always say. It could be environmental, but then you never hear anything more than that. It's like, I don't know who's studying this or if there's anyone we can talk to and bring on the podcast. But not just environmental, it's diet also. Mm-hmm. You know, and sedentary lifestyle and diet and, and all of that stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, I hate to hear that it's happening to younger people. It is. Also in the news, Amy Schumer, just this week, she had endometriosis. I have to say it really slowly. Very good. Slowly. You got that right. <laughs> yes. And so I, I've heard of this often, but I didn't really know what it was. Like, I didn't know it was like tissue growing. Can you explain it to our audience? Like what it, what it is and what it looks like? Yeah. So it basically the, the lining of the uterus has what's called endometrium. And every month it, it, in a woman who's uh, menstruates, um, who's a reproductive age, it's constantly changing. It builds up the endometrium. And then, and then if you don't get pregnant, you get your period and it sloughs off, right? And, and you get your period. And so that lining of the uterus, for whatever reason, and we don't totally know why, though that kind of tissue, for whatever reason, could start growing where it's not supposed to grow inside of the abdomen, anywhere. It could grow anywhere. It could grow on the intestines. It could grow on the, on the outside of the uterus. It could grow on the ovary and the fallopian tubes. It could, it could grow anywhere. And that's basically what it is. And sometimes it's asymptomatic and women have it and never know why, but sometimes for whatever reason, it causes symptoms kind of often maybe around periods too, because it's the same kind of lining and the same kind of tissue and it starts causing pain. It gets engorged. And I don't think we totally know why it causes pain and symptoms, but some women develop severe debilitating pain from it. Mm -hmm. No, that's what I was reading that she had. I mean, I feel bad. She's like, if you have really painful periods, you might have this too. But hers was so bad that she chose to remove her uterus and appendix. And this I never heard of because they took out her uterus. Are you sure? I didn't see. Oh, okay. Yeah. She had her uterus um, removed and her appendix because apparently the tissue was growing there. They, they had like got it in different spots. Yeah. It it could grow all over and it's sometimes even very small, you know, sometimes it's, it's kind of like pea sized or even smaller. It could sometimes be larger as well. And it could also cause infertility issues. That, that was the other thing I wanted yeah. to Because it could grow in the ovaries, around the ovaries, in the fallopian tubes, and affect someone's ability to get pregnant. Well, she was talking about that before. She was going through IVF treatment and saying, you know, it was painful. So she decided to, like, freeze her eggs so she'd have more choices. And then she did this. So obviously she can't have a kid. She doesn't have a uterus. So I guess she's probably going to have a surrogate because she has money, which is great. But um, yeah, I was reading, I didn't know that it caused so many infertility issues in women too. It can. And interestingly, um, you know, you wouldn't think someone's appendix would be removed. Like why, why are they doing endometriosis surgery and taking out the appendix? And the reason is not totally clear. Sometimes the endometriosis grows on the appendix and that's an obvious reason to get it out. But sometimes the thinking is, is 
well, you're in there anyway, let's get the appendix out. It's a relatively easy operation that doesn't have any major side effects. And sometimes appendicitis could kind of look like endometriosis and someone could have chronic pain. And certainly if we take out the appendix, the patient's never going to go and get appendicitis. So that's kind of the thinking too, sometimes why the appendix gets removed. It may not even be related to endometriosis. It may just be uh, let's make sure this patient never gets, we're in there. Let's make sure they never get appendicitis. If they get the pain down that in the right side, we're never going to say, well, maybe it's endometriosis, maybe it's appendicitis. I don't know. It's it's more kind of let's take it out of the equation. And that's why they'll they'll sometimes remove the appendix. Okay. Have you ever taken out um, that kind of tissue before? Like, have you done that? Kind of, is that considered a general surgery? It can, it, usually gynecologists do it, but they'll often do it with a either a colon and rectal surgeon or another general surgeon to help do, because sometimes it'll be growing into the intestines and things like that. And we have to help deal with the intestines. I, when we decided we would talk about this, I remembered a patient who I'm still kind of, I hear from now and then a wonderful woman who came in with a, a mass in her abdominal wall, like on her belly, on her, on her abdominal wall. And we were worried that it was a tumor, like a cancer, and it was causing pain and it was growing. And we wound up having to take her to surgery and removing that mass and kind of reconstructing her abdominal wall. And it was behaving very aggressively, almost like a cancer. We thought it was going to be a soft tissue cancer. And amazingly, it turned out just to be endometriosis growing in her abdominal wall. I think it had been, she had maybe had a C-section, a cesarean section when one of her kids were born and somehow that endometriosis seeded into where they closed back up her abdomen when they were closing her cesarean section. And I, and I still remember that. And, and she was having a lot of pain. And then once we got it out, she was better. Okay. That, that was going to be a question for you. Cause I was trying to look up like the rhyme and reason behind it. And they just, they, they have examples of what they think it could be, but scar tissue was one of them. So I was wondering mm-hmm. if you ever saw that. So that woman would have been her reason was scar tissue. It was clear. Yeah. Yeah. And she, and she was, you know, her pain was gone once we took care of getting that area out, but it was, it was growing like a tumor into her abdomen. It was, it was impressive. Wow. That's scary. Surgery isn't usually the first treatment off. Sometimes it's, it's uh, hormonal manipulation, you know, birth control, different things like that to try to see if it can improve the symptoms. Surgery often is saved for more of like infertility or to sometimes you need to do surgery to make the diagnosis actually, or if the birth control isn't necessarily helping. Okay. So have you ever known anyone that suffered from it personally? I haven't. I've had a lot of patients who I've known personally, but friends and family, I'm not sure. I don't recall. I don't recall, but it's more common than you think. I've never heard anybody like talk about it. So I guess that was Amy Schumer's point to like, you know, this happens to women. We don't. And she felt like women just need to, they're treated like they just have to accept their pain. And her point was that you don't have to. So she chose surgery. One of the funny, weird, strange things about diseases is they need celebrities. Diseases need celebrities. and, And it's often why we make advances in treatments is some celebrity decides to champion it both with awareness as well as financially for research. And that's what gets these diseases often 
fast-tracked and more attention and more research dollars and, and more treatment. And, and it needs being spoken about. And, and so unfortunately or fortunately, it's to, you know, it's 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 horrible that she's suffering and hopefully she's doing great. But the the silver lining to it is is that hopefully she's gonna benefit tons of other women after her now because she's championing this. Yeah, because I was reading that's like one problem with it. Why they don't have a lot more answers is because they say they need a lot more money and funding for research. Yeah. So that's all I got about Amy Schumer. But, oh, we forgot to mention in Pele, that Pele movie that I watched recently and you watched is called Victory. It's with um, Sylvester Stallone and Michael Caine. It came out in 1981. You guys should check it out. I'm sure it's on some streaming service or you can pay for it. I saw it as a kid. I, I remember it in the theaters. That's how old I am. Oh, was it exciting? I bet mean, it was an exciting movie to see in the theater. It was really exciting. Yeah. It was, it was kind of like um, The Longest Yard a little bit, that Burt Reynolds movie too, that was then remade by Adam Sandler. Um, I think I saw that one. That's a football movie, The Longest okay. Yard. But this was about soccer. And it was, it was great. Yeah. And so Pele's in it. How was he watching it? Did it hold up? Yes, I thought it was very interesting. It's yeah, yeah. It was not what I thought it was going to be. With like Sylvester Stallone, I thought it was going to be more of an action movie. It wasn't. It was really about you know soccer or the football match. Right. And was he the goalie, Sylvester Stallone? I'm trying to remember who he was. Yeah, he was the goalie, but he actually didn't have any experience. He was like the American. It was like people in a POW camp. So right. It was uh, a good movie. Yeah, and yeah, and Michael Caine was one of the people also in the. POW group along with Pele. They form a team. Was Michael Kane a player or a coach? He was a famous coach. Um, right. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't remember if he played on the field or not, but yeah. I don't want to give it away, but it's very interesting. This match they end up having with like the Nazis. Right. Right. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah. So uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.